Jig just grinds that tape It's the dynasty crossroads Where film is everything The dynasty crossroads Where numbers are the king There may not be consensus But we'll give you everything Hello and welcome to Dynasty Crossroads. My name's Peter Howard. You can find me on Twitter at P.A. Howdy. I'm here with Jake Anderson at NFL Draft Talker on Twitter. We're here to talk about one player at a time from both a film and analytics point of view. Essentially, we're going to argue about one player from two different perspectives to finally um, have it out and decide once and for all, as best we can, where uh, we are going to land on a player moving forward or completely disagree with each other by the end of it anyway, to be honest with you. So, um, Jake, what's new with you? What's happening? Nothing's new. Same day-to-day grind. Uh, just here to chat with some Calvin Ridley with you. Yep, today's subject is Calvin Ridley. We're sticking with the rookies for episode two, but switching to wide receiver. Uh, Calvin Ridley's been a bit of a... Um, crossroads player frankly and you either love him or you hate him i am on the out with calvin ridley and i think you like him or at least like him a lot better than i do yeah i think i think this day and age it's it's trickier than it maybe used to be uh i know years ago everyone was infatuated with the calvin johnsons of the world this the big monster wide receivers the six foot four 220 pounds, running 4'3", 4'4", 40s, uh, can jump out of the gym. And I do like those type of receivers. Uh, Julio Jones, and I talked about this with Elliot Chris on his Draft Daily podcast, and you know the two wide receivers that always come up are Julio Jones and Antonio Brown. And they, they win in different ways, and I love both of them. <laughs> so uh, you can be a smaller wide receiver, you can be a bigger wide receiver, and uh, just like there's different types of running backs uh, that win with elusiveness or with power, uh, wide receivers can win with high pointing, boxing out defenders, or with quickness, uh, route running, in and out of breaks, um, knowing how to set up defenders. So I guess I, I I guess I lean towards more of the Julio Jones guy, but honestly, one of my my biggest things is is a is a good route runner. I, I want to see Chris routes and the ability to catch it clean. Yeah, um, it's been suggested once or twice, or I've seen it once suggested once or twice that we start seeing wide receivers as a more diverse position. Right, you can't judge a Julio Jones next to an Antonio Brown even because, like you say, they do win in entirely different ways. So in some ways, they play. <laughs> different positions or at least they play the same position very differently and so it's hard to judge one to the other do you think that's true that we shouldn't really be comparing um say jarvis landry to julio jones because they're so different it's almost a different position oh absolutely yeah so slot water receivers i think they're being a little bit devalued um you know mike mayock was saying you couldn't believe that equinemia st brown was falling and uh, Dante Pettis got drafted in the second round, which, you know, neither of us, are, I think, are big Dante Pettis fans. But uh, just because he's a slot wide receiver, that's not the same value as an outside receiver. And, you know, I tend to disagree. I think the Jarvis Landry types, and we've seen uh, older wide receivers, and I think Matt Harmon has talked about 
he thinks every number one wide receiver in in any offense should get a decent amount of percentage of their snaps through the um, slot position just because it opens up so much more of the field and there's so many less good covered guys uh, playing that nickel position on, on defenses so yeah I, th- I think it's incredibly difficult to compare um, Christian Kirk and Cortland Sutton and uh, yeah it's almost two different positions I completely agree with you there yeah I think that's definitely a point we have to take into consideration when we're thinking about how a rookie might translate to the NFL. There are very few wide receivers that excel in a certain role in college that then change to a different role when they get to the NFL. Jarvis Landry played a lot in the middle of the field and on shorter routes in college. Now, there are a few that kind of disprove the rule. Golden Tate and Jordan Matthews are two recent examples that definitely crossed over um, positions once they entered the NFL. It's going to be hard to nail down whether that's what they can do or how teams want to use them. So instead of looking at what a wide receiver is capable of doing, what I look for, what I've figured out, the things that seem most predictive, is nothing really to do with how good they are at any one particular thing. It's it, it more breaks down into two categories. One, how they were used or how much they were used. And two, what key people or key organizations think of that player. Now that's counterintuitive to me whether it is to anyone else or not, because I want to know about this player, if they're good or if they're bad. That's the the crux of evaluation. But I don't think, because of all the variables involved, we'll ever be really good until we're measuring everything all the time, and a lot of people than me are doing it, um, at translating what a player does in college uh, in a multitude of different situations at different uh, different difficulty levels. And... Um, Uh, in different games with a different supporting cast, how that's going to translate to the NFL. So what I look for is how much they were used, um, and that tells me something, or what I think it's telling me, is what the team thinks of this player, how much they value him, how much they want to use him, and also how much they got out of him by doing that. And secondly, um, what the NFL thinks of them. And that's where draft capital comes in. Um, I don't see it as a measure of how good players are. One of my big Bugaboos about evaluation is everyone clinging to draft capital after the fourth, fifth, sixth year. Yeah, but I think if you have to wait that long into a player's career for him to do anything, draft capital has already failed you. It's not draft capital that's telling you anything about that player at that point. So I don't think draft capital is actually telling you anything intrinsically about that player, or at least I don't think it's telling you as much as it's telling you about what teams or what the NFL think of that player. Now that is valuable, it's just... Like I say, a little counterintuitive to me. I want to value the player, not the team or the team's opinion. But if if a team trades up for a player, if a team takes a player in the first three rounds, or especially the first round, that tells you that that team is going to give them opportunity. And opportunity equals volume. And as we discussed last week, I think volume is pretty much everything. Jake, uh, that's probably enough talking in general. I mean, um, let's talk about the player himself. What stands out to you about Kevin Ridley on tape? I think from a film standpoint, he's there's not a whole lot of flaws in his game, really. Uh, not many wide receivers you come you see come out of college are really good route runners, and I think he's definitely the best route runner in this class. Uh, I think Dante Pettis. I think some people might put him in that category as well. I think Pettis is a little bit 
more known for his releases than his routes because I think his routes get a little bit um, muddled up in the middle of the field and even deep down the field, whereas I think Calvin Ridley is such a crisp route runner. Uh, he creates separation and, and with such ease, and if Alabama just had a quarterback that could deliver him the football, there's so many instances where he's wide open and he never gets the, the you know, Jalen Hurst never got through his progressions to even um, see him on the field. Um, so I think his, his hands are good, not great. Um, he can high point the ball at times. Um, but where he wins is with uh, his cuts in and out of his breaks. He's an excellent route runner. He staggers his route pace. Um, you know, on deeper routes, he starts off a little bit slower, and then he, when he finds he gets that angle on the defender, that's when he hits the gas to create that separation. And vice versa, he can, um, on his comeback and out routes and curl routes, he, sl- you know, he starts off his routes so quickly and explosively, and then he can cut them off so quickly. So he can. St- start fast and then steady his pace and then make his cut and come back to the ball so well that he creates separation. And I know his, his metrics weren't fantastic. His, his 40 was good. His, his explosive numbers weren't impressive at all. Um, but I think when you are a good route runner, it, it makes up for so much athletically. Yeah, and there's similar type of things I've heard um, from tape. He definitely seems to have impressed a lot of And the one thing I'd say about that, the narrative we have been able to um, construe from a lot of numbers is that players that come into the NFL in older are a lot more developed. So he's had more time, more practice, and um, more practice in that system um, with more maturity and more physical development, importantly, to actually get good at the things that you're talking about. And I think that's part of why it can be tricky to see how good route running translates to the NFL. And a lot of older players tend to get labeled as good route runners. And I think it's for that reason. Some of them translate and some of them don't. One thing I can do is moderate. Now, draft capital is one of the most predictive. Um, it is the most predictive variable or value or thing to look at for who succeeds. No matter what level of NFL success you're looking at, whether it's becoming a top 24 wide receiver in fantasy points or getting a thousand yards or getting 150 points. I've done it through a variety of different levels and the one that correlates best is draft capital. Now, as I've already mentioned, I've got a problem with the way we value draft capital because I think we can we go too far left or too far right with it. So what I was looking for um, and found, I think, is a way to decide what is good draft capital and what is bad draft capital. Not all first-round wide receivers have the same level of success, and is there anything that tells us what the difference between one first-round wide receiver and another first-round wide receiver is? Now, the thing that comes up second to draft capital by itself is breakout age, and that's the age at which a player owns 20% of his college team's receiving yards and touchdowns. So a player that breaks out at the age 18 in his first season, while he does not have the physical development or the experience or the knowledge of the playbook or any of the advantages that come from a 22-year-old about to step into the NFL doing well, um, if they get 20% of the team's production, they have distinguished themselves as something special. So what I did is I tried to merge the two, and this is what I did with the um, catch report or my wide receiver report from this year's draft. 
available on fantasyfootballstatistics.com. So what I found is a very strong trend. Now, I've only got data from wide receivers from 2000 all the way to 2018, and I want at least three years in the NFL to really judge how a player has done, because it's not really fair to say a wide receiver hasn't broken out or done anything in the NFL after one year, right? So I gave them three years. So that's 15 years of data from 2000 to 2015. For the wide receivers event in the NFL in the last, in those 15 years, what we find is this very strong correlation to the age at which they break out, have 20% of the team's production in the receiving game, and their draft capital. And if you merge the two, you get this very clear map of how likely a player is to break out in the NFL based on their draft capital and their breakout age, the two most predictive stats. So what I found was 73.3% of wide receivers drafted in the first round with an age 18 breakout age became top 24 wide receivers. So it's a fairly good measure of success. So within the first three years, 73% of those players uh, actually broke out. Now, even better, that pattern continues down the breakout age. So it's 73% at 18, 68% at 19, 50% at 20, 22% at 21. And that's where our sample size drops off because I only have three wide receivers drafted in the first round with an age 22 breakout age, so the number can't really be trusted. But the fact that that is such a pattern that it decreases with every breakout age is highly suggestive that this is important information. As is the fact no wide receiver with an age 18 breakout age has been drafted outside the first three rounds um, except for a very a very small percentage. It's something like uh, out of 40 wide receivers in that time period I mentioned, there are six that have been drafted outside the first three rounds. So whatever it's telling us about the player, the NFL is noticing as well because they're drafting them in the first three rounds. And the fact it's very um, uh, patterned in that way, every round, the higher the breakout age, the lower the chances or the, the fewer actually break out to be top 24 wide receivers is really suggestive to me that this this is predictive and what i found is that calvin ridley with an age 20 breakout age only has a 50 percent chance of being in the top 24 in ppr scoring through the first three years of his career that's a coin flip and where he's been taken in rookie drafts that seems like a very risky investment to make especially since he's been drafted as a um, a wide, the wide receiver won from this rookie class by some people, whereas DJ Moore actually has a 68% chance. It's just a lot better bet versus Calvin Ridley. I have to admit, I do think wide, evaluating wide receivers and their transition to the NFL is extremely hard, whether it's from a tape standpoint or an analytical standpoint. So I know that my evaluations on wide receivers, I, I find it very difficult. Um, so that's a position where I've definitely leaned on some people from the analytics field um, to help my process because uh, I think there are some more predictive ways um, to – I'm looking for more predictive ways to measure these wide receivers when I feel like it's hard for me to dial down um, and feel really comfortable about my own evaluations. My only key there uh, with, with Kelvin Ridley is I think he might be an outlier. You know, how many of these guys were 20 years old, a true freshman, you know, playing in the SEC? I, I don't think there's many of them. And I know he was 19 and a half years, years old in his senior year of high school. He got held out of his last several games because um, he was too old in high school. And I, I'm not 
I, I, I'm not sure why he was so old in high school, but he was. And he, and the thing is, you say, I think, you know, he's more developed because he's older, but I don't think Kelvin Ridley wins because he's more athletic or, or more mature or bigger or stronger than the kids he's really facing. Um, I guess maybe more mature and that's maybe where his route running route running ability comes from. But um, we saw with Cooper cup last year as well. Wasn't he 24 as a rookie and he was one of the most um, productive wide receiver rookies uh, in the league with Juju Smith Schuster. So um, for me, I think it, there's a little bit of outlier there with Ridley because he, he broke out at 20, but that was his freshman season. It wasn't like he played for two years and then broke out. He broke out as soon as he started playing at, at Alabama. So um, what would you have to say about that specifically? Well, even Cooper Cup came into the NFL at an age, but he had an age 19 breakout. And it seems like, you know, it's just a year, but it's so patterned. It changes the chances or percentage of players with those breakout ages. It's like an 18% difference, which seems fairly large to me over a 15-year sample size. Like 20%, just 20% of wide receivers drafted at all, or undrafted that I have in my database, have broken out to be top 24 wide receivers with an age 20 breakout, but 38% have broken out with an age 18 breakout. This just seems like a continual path. Draft capital matters. Atlanta is going to throw opportunity to him at some point. It doesn't matter behind Julio Jones. I mean, he's capped at a top 36 wide receiver, in my opinion, because producing two, I know everyone points to Roddy White, but it's really rare. And so the thing about him entering at 20 and then becoming a breakout immediately in his freshman year is important, but I look at... Um, the year as opposed to the age as well. And the same pattern doesn't exist. Freshman year compared to age doesn't have the same pattern. So freshman year is less important than the age. And that me does mean how old they are. It does mean how big they are. I mean, I don't know about you, but the difference between me at age 18 and 22 without, you know, being in a being in a college weight room with professional coaches telling me how to get stronger was quite drastic um, in terms of how big I was, strong I was, fast I was. And so I do think that's playing a role as well. I don't know all the things that are going into why this is patterning. I don't really care. It's just the usage of the team and the production by age has this pattern. Um, with Calvin Ridley, we also often break into narratives like um, like him breaking out in this freshman year is good, but when we do that, um, uh, run the numbers on that, it still isn't as predictive as fantasy or NFL success. And I don't know why he didn't enter at an early age either. It seems like I'm trying to punish him, but it's not really about the player. In fact, I think I'm paying more respect to the player. There are a whole bunch of players that broke out at age 20 having not played um, in their age 18 and 19 season. So like Calvin Ridley, that didn't make it. In fact, there are 87 in my database, and only 16 of them actually became top 24 wide receivers. So again, it's a really low percentage. Yeah, but weren't those players at a university? Weren't they playing college, though, already? No, that's what I'm saying. Wide receivers that, like Ridley only entered college at 20, as far as I can figure out. Right. And I think I feel like I'm just trying to chip away at you a little bit, but I'm more just I'm more just curious that out of those 87 or whatever wide receivers there were, how many of those were top recruits? How many of those uh, 
guys were drafted in the first round had that same kind of draft capital because I think that kind of context matters. Yeah, actually, that's what it was wide receivers drafted in the first three rounds. So oh, it was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I'm gonna have to check that. <laughs> <laughs> so there are actually only six wide receivers in my database drafted in the first round who didn't play or don't have market share data from age 18 and 19. Uh, of those wide receivers. Uh, three of them became top 24 wide receivers. So half. So yeah, half. But out of a six sample size, which isn't big enough to really draw many conclusions of. And one of those is actually Calvin Ridley. So actually it's five. <laughs> <laughs> and I should also point out none of the others were drafted after 2011. So it goes back to the fact that breakout age has changed recently. And the numbers are, and the names are Corey Robinson, Michael Crabtee, AJ Green, Ashley Lilio and Charles Rogers. That's some good. It's a good company. If you want to tell me Calvin Ridley looks like Michael Crabtree or AJ Green, I'm all in, and it's not really about breakout age. So are you going to try and convince me that Calvin Ridley compares at all to AJ Green? No, not at all. They're different. They're different. Okay, they're then. Diff- so we're back to the fact that if you take a larger sample of, you know, um, wide receivers drafted in the first three rounds, which is significant draft capital, it's not. Granted, first round wide receiver uh, draft category is significant, and they don't uh, make it. But don't you think so? To a significant. Don't degree. you think that since n- no one has been drafted since 2011, and obviously the NFL is diving a little bit more into analytics and breakout age and market share, that this means more that no one has been drafted in the past seven years, but Atlanta who you know, has a decent track record of making good draft picks, uh, took a shot on this kid? Maybe, yeah, but that goes back to your word, an outlier. And that's my whole point. It's not that Ridley can't succeed. There are many, <laughs> there are examples of a wide receiver with his numbers succeeding. And um, my broader point would be, he has to be an outlier to succeed. And you're drafting him in the first round of a rookie draft. That seems risky. Uh, more risky than a wide receiver like DJ Moore, more risky than a wide receiver like um, Christian Kirk, who all have better breakout ages, significant enough draft capital, that actually mean they are in these higher percentage brackets. More wide receivers with their breakout ages and their draft capital break out than, than wide receivers with Calvin Ridley's breakout age and draft capital. I don't think Calvin Ridley has an extremely high ceiling. So if you're drafting him to be a future wide receiver one for your team, I don't know if he's ever going to be there. But I think the people that are drafting him at the end of round one are contending teams that just want some safe starting plays this this year, next year. Um, And I don't think he's going to be a bust. So he doesn't have a huge ceiling, but I think he has a very high floor. And he's attached to Matt Ryan for probably his career, or at least his first contract, first four to five years of his contract. Julio Jones is getting older, and we've seen how um, wide receivers who are built on the, their physicality, their their speed, their metrics, uh, maybe not precise route runners, they tend to fall off the cliff a little bit harder than the route smaller route running wide receivers do. And then Muhammad Sanu, I think, is probably gone after this season. Tevin Coleman's probably gone after this season. So I think he could – and there's no tight end of significance on that offense. So I think going into next year, he could be the number 
two option in that offense. And we've seen Mohamed Sanu play really well in that offense. And I think a lot of that is because the attention that Julio Jones gets. So I think the argument that I, I feel so many people argue about is uh, landing spot, right? They want volume. Yeah, of course, volume is king and it's great. But who would you rather be getting your volume from, right? If Kelvin really went to a worse team, and I think I heard uh, Paul Pertichese talk about this on the Saturday to Sunday podcast. Um, I think he was talking to maybe Elliot Christ. Uh, but would you rather have him go to Buffalo and be the number one wide receiver there? Or would you rather have him be the second or even possibly third option in Atlanta offense? So um, volume is great, but if it's not – producing the numbers it doesn't really matter yeah i think that's yeah and to talk about his situation that's that's my other point he's going to a team with a dominant wide receiver like the dominant the last calvin johnson standing in the nfl is julio jones and all his all the predictors of his demise are really exaggerated sanu like you said has been really efficient which is a measure of how good a player is in an offense at least and so i just don't see the targets freeing up. As you said, you don't expect it from for his first year, maybe not his second year. And then we enter the territory of Devontae Parker or Josh Doxon or Corey Coleman where you're like, are you really going to hold on to him for that long? Oh, I do think it happens in his, his rookie year. I don't know if he gets a huge uh, market share in that offense his rookie year, but I think he comes in and he's successful. And you're to, you're talking about how efficient Mohamed Sanu has been. That's what Kelvin Ridley is going to be walking into. That's yeah, but I think that's a product of uh, Sanu not next the year. I don't think so. Why? I really don't. And I and it's not that I don't like Sanu. I did like Sanu coming out of I think it was Rutgers, right? Um, I liked him a lot, and I think he played well for Cleveland. Um, you know, he was in a bad offense there, but. You can't say how I mean, as a Julio Jones lover and owner in almost every dynasty league that I'm in, even though I traded you one of my shares, which I'm still a little bit upset. Yeah, about, did. But, hey, it's a point per carry league. I wanted Delvin Cook. I think it was a fair deal. But going back, watching, I watch a lot of Atlanta games because I'm a Julio owner and I love to watch him play and I love to watch him score my uh, fantasy points. But when they get in the red zone, it's amazing that Julio, I mean, I know he got some volume in the red zone last year, but and he was just horribly efficient with it. But Mohamed Sanu is open so much because teams are just drawing in on Julio. So uh, that just creates a lot of one-on-one matchups. And then Kelvin really gets to see worse coverage. You know, he's not going up against the number one corner. And he's not certainly not drawing double teams. So I think he can take advantage of that. And I think he's going to be a safety net for Matt Ryan. Yeah, and, and all that's well taken. I just think we can make reasonable conclusions about how good a player is independent of team. And Sanu has been doing well in those variables, right? He has been above average at pretty much every depth of target while he's been in Atlanta and in Cincinnati with the targets that he's given. And so I just think we're, to do that is to underrate Sanu. Now, I will let go of that pretty quickly because Atlanta clearly wants someone else because <laughs> they went out and drafted a wide receiver in the first round, presumably to take over that role. 
And the other thing about Julio Jones is it doesn't really matter to me if he's getting that red zone work. I mean, it matters for fantasy, don't get me wrong. But he himself, his play hasn't dropped off. Everyone, some are predicting this demise of Julio Jones, but I can't see it anywhere. And some players just drop off and stop, like an Andre Johnson, don't get me wrong. But again, they were betting on an outlier to happen. All right then, so I think we've uh, run around the uh, Calvin Ridley Marbury brush for a significantly long period of time here. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that, and everyone will agree, I think it's fair to say everyone will agree that I won. And Calvin Ridley is nothing but a reach in the first round. And you should all restrict yourselves to shares of him in the second round. And Jake's nodding. Jake definitely agrees. He's not nodding. He doesn't agree at all. Um, all right. So, uh, all right, Jake. I, I think, yeah, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just think you're wrong about everything. And um, uh, we'll see, right? It's coming up. It's getting closer and closer. Um, is there anything you want to tell the people about that you're um, working on or that should go check out? Uh, not anything currently. I just updated my rankings on DLF for two quarterbacks, my top 150. You can go check that out if you like. And I think, I don't know when this podcast will get released, but I, I believe I have a couple spots left in my uh, Eliminator Challenge for Fantasy Cares through John Bosch. You can go to fantasycares.net, lower left-hand corner, find Jake Anderson there, and come take me on. I am offering a free... Uh, like a MFL team logo or or a Twitter avatar. If you join me, I'll give you a free little graphic there. Right, that's awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. I have put some thought into signing up for your Eliminator Challenge because I'd like to take on a celebrity, so you better go <laughs> fill that up fast before I steal the last slot. All right, uh, I'm up to the same things. I've been doing projections. I did appear on the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast. Those Adam and Chris were absolutely fantastic and much more professional. Uh, the me at least, so uh, check them out. Um, definitely, they're actually having me back this week again. We don't know when this is going to come out, so this all, might all be old news. But uh, yeah, definitely check out that podcast. It's one worth listening to, uh, especially when I'm not on it, really. So um, thanks for checking out the Dynasty Crossroads. We will see you again next week when we will argue about uh, another player. But for now, thanks for checking us out, and we will see you again next week. You're Look forward to it. Crossroads that film and analytics create. The dynasty crossroads that film and analytics create. Peter crunches numbers and Jake just grinds that tape. It's the dynasty crossroads where film is everything. I was talking about slot wide receivers, correct? Whoa, whoa, whoa. We can't compare Juju Smith Schuster to Calvin Ridley. The dynasty crossroads that film and analytics create. So, that's probably long enough. Uh, so, we're going to move on to me. Sorry, Jake. It's the dynasty crossroads where film is everything. Uh, I don't know about that. The dynasty crossroads where numbers are the key. Oh, I think I think the Michael Gallup talk is getting. There a may bit not insane. be consensus, but we'll give you everything. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just think you're wrong about everything.
What?